Today we are in part 17 of our series in the book of John, in the book of John. And um, it's been an exciting journey and it's going to take an interesting uh, twist a little bit today and um, next week kind of um, come back, you know, because Jesus is getting very personal today. Praise the name of the Lord. And... um, so, do we all have the outline? Okay, if you don't have an outline, can you, can you raise your hand? Okay, we, we all... Okay, there's a, there's a hand there, please. Please keep the hands up until you get one. The idea is that you um, take notes and um, there are some blank spaces. You fill them as we go on and there are some empty spaces. You fill them with the thoughts or whatever ministers to you as we go on. And after today, you take your um, outline, and by now you should have a big jacket that you file it away when you get home, so that um, before you know it, you have a whole book um, that you can always refer to. So, to open up the teaching, the question in the open segment is this. Do you struggle to show mercy or is it easy does showing mercy come easy to you or do you struggle to show mercy who wants who wants to try no this is we all like to be seen as you know a good or merciful you know <laughs> sometimes i i mean uh, i can give you my stories of where i've struggled you know and all that but i want i want you to share have you um have you always had it easy um, to show mercy or, or you show mercy after you've gotten your pound of flesh back, you know? Then it's easier to show mercy or... I mean, how does it work for you? Who wants to go? The little boy is raising his hands. I'm sure you don't have a story. Anyone in the choir? Who wants to go? Okay, yes, there's the hand there. My experience, good evening, church. Good evening. My experience has been that the further I am away from God, the more difficult it is to show mercy. So in times that I've walked away, when somebody does something to me, I definitely want my pound of flesh. And the most annoying thing is that God then comes while you're waiting to enjoy this dish and then begins to make you feel, don't you want to have a second thought? And then it becomes a struggle. Oh. What a dish to enjoy. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing. I mean, if you heard what he said, when I'm far away from Christ, I, I mean, I take my pound of flesh like that, you know. But the closer I am to Christ, the, you know, other chick comes easy, you know. So who else wants to share? Okay, no hand there. Anybody else, maybe female this time? Um, women are very gracious. So, <laughs> so let them show us uh, where they've struggled. Anybody, female, I'm going to call you if you don't volunteer yourself. 
should I call? And your hand is half up, so you might as well. Okay. Can you give? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yes, I struggle a lot to show mercy, especially when I realize that the person, it wasn't a mistake. The person oh. knowingly did something. Oh. It, it takes a lot to show mercy on the person. And I guess the struggle is actually the conscience and it's actually the Holy Spirit that is causing that war within that you can't continue to hold on to this. But yes, I definitely struggle a lot with it. But eventually, when I do show mercy, mercy, I just, everything just becomes light and easy to move on. The fruit is very, I mean, pleasant. Yes. Okay, so you you said that if the person um, does it deliberately, so it's easier to show mercy for someone that makes a mistake. Yes. Okay, so when the person now um, planned it out, he didn't make a mistake, he, he had a plan. Well thought out. Then you have a problem. Yes. If, if she, she does that to you, then you have a problem. Yes. Um, okay, yes. but God still helps you. It, it takes, takes a lot. It takes a whole lot more. Yes. So, I mean, so the, the question is, wait, 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 wait. The, <laughs> the question is, should such people be um, shown mercy? Yes. Okay. Yes. I believe that because we're all human. Okay. Cool. Our text is from John chapter 8 from verse 1 to 30. John 8, 1 to 30. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down. I was a sat down. Jesus teaches sitting down many times. And he sat down and taught them. Verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said. You know, when, when, the, when Pharisees and religious law say, teacher, you know you're in trouble. Because they never acknowledged you as a teacher in the first place. <laughs> they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, which is not true. What do you say? Okay, so why did I say that was not true? The law of Moses did not say to stone her. The law of Moses said to put her to death. It didn't say how. It was the Pharisees that preferred to stone people. Praise the name of the Lord. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down 
again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning from the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once again. Once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment will be correct in every respect. Because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other witness. So we are two. <laughs> Where is your Father? They asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. We see that again. We saw that last week. His time had not yet come. Later, Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You will search for me, but you will die in your sin. I mean, he was talking to the most powerful men in Jerusalem at the time. You cannot come where I am going, the people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does it mean? You cannot come where I am going. Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. This is why I said to you, this is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you? 
be demanded. Can you see the discourse and the exchanges? Can you see Jesus' effrontery and, and, you know, audacity in laying these claims and speaking it to their faces? Who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful, but they still didn't understand what he was talking about, that he was talking about the father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me. For I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. So straight away, if you you look at verses 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus returned to the Mount Olives but early in the morning, the next morning, he was back again at the temple. You remember which temple? And you remember what happened at the temple the previous day from last week? It was the feast of what? Shelters, tabernacle, booths. And Jesus had just caused a stir by claiming that if all of any of them thirst, they should come to him. And they're looking at this 30-something-year-old boy. These are 50, 60, 17 year old men that have that are learned and is saying to them, I am the water of life. So he had cost a lot of stare that could have cost him his life. But we learned last week that they couldn't touch him because his time had not yet come. Praise the name of the Lord. So he's, he went back to the temple. And if you fast forward to verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. Now, this guy just said, I am the water of life. If you thirst, Come to me. The same person. The following day, went to the same temple. People are gathered together and he's saying to them, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, the, the background to this is this. After the feast of the tabernacle is a process called the illumination of the temple. Now, in the illumination of the temple, it's good to understand the background of, of these whole things so that, you know, Jesus' statements begin to come alive and, and why he actually said them at the time he said them. 
So the illumination of the temple was celebrated. And basically, that means that the Torah scrolls will be taken away and will be replaced with candlesticks. Will be replaced with light, with candlesticks. And they will read Proverbs 6.23. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way of life. They will also read Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet. A light for my path. And they will also read Isaiah 60 verse 1. <laughs> I'll see this. Arise and shine. Let your light shine. For your light has come. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, it's like, these guys, after the Feast of the Tabernacles, when they go through the process of illumination of the temple, they read those scriptures that point to Jehovah as the light. His word is the light unto my path. So Jesus is saying, I am that word. That is a light unto your path. They read Isaiah 60 that says, Arise and shine for your light has come for the glory of God. Jesus said, I am that glory of God that is rising upon you. Praise the name of the Lord. I mean, if Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, at that point they would have killed him. Because remember, they still had their stones. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. So we see that, and all those scriptures they read, obviously they say a prayer in pronouncement of the fact that God was going to send the Messiah. God was not going to leave his people without help. God was going to send the Savior. And light was another name for the Messiah. Light, if you're writing, was another name for the Messiah. And in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, the word of God says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future, when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies among, along the roads that run between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So the Messiah, light, is another name for the Messiah. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, I mean, this is, I said, it's, it's, it's a different term because we are, we are doing a lot of Bible references and cross-references, you know. It says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. 
And these are messianic prophecies. And Jesus came and shows up and says to them, I am the light of the world. Hallelujah. Then they said that, who are you? Why are you asking me who am I? Who have I been saying I am? I am the person I've been saying I am from the beginning. You've heard it. You know, Jesus will pass as a good Nigerian who always answers a question with a question. <laughs> Jesus answers a question with a question many times. Hallelujah. By the time we get to verse 14 to 18, Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct. Because my father who sent me is with me and I'm not alone. Your own law says that if two people agree on something, their witness is acceptable. It's accepted as, a fa- as fact. I am one witness and my father who sent me is another. You remember we talked about the four witnesses. And in this case, Jesus didn't even bother to talk about the four witnesses. He just said, you know what? My word is true because I'm not saying my words. I'm saying the word of him that sent me. And if you really want to go by your law, the one that sent me is here. And he's saying the same thing. So we are two saying the same thing. And in the matter of two or more witnesses, every matter is established. And they said, where is your father? In other words, we can see only you. And you claim to be two. And that the other one is your father. Where is he? And by the time we get to verse 19, when he said, where is your father? They asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. So Jesus here is pointing to the fact that I and the father are inseparable. The father and I are one. Jesus, the word of God says in Hebrews 1, that is the express image of the invisible God. Is the image of the invisible God. If God stood in front of a mirror, who would show up? Jesus is the image of God, the invisible God. And he says, if you see the Father, you have seen me. You see, again, Jesus was clear. He is the only way to the Father. If you're writing. Jesus was very clear. He is the only way to the Father. I mean, trash all this nonsense of, you know, there are many ways to God. There's nothing like that. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. There is no other way but by me. It's the only one that has settled in history. That's credible. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> Jesus 
didn't leave it to guesswork. It was very clear. You know, I remember growing up, my dad would call me. You know, I was, I was pretty close to him. You know, he would call me and say to me, Femi, Onokon Woja. In other words, there are many routes to a market. And if he said to me, you can go, this thing called God, eh? you can go through Ifa, you can go through Obatala, you can go through, you mentioned all the other deities. <laughs> what did I know? I would just say, okay, okay, okay. Okay, 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 okay. Then, I, then Jesus found me. <laughs> I found you. <laughs> I saw the light. And I wish I could have told him that there's only one way, Daddy. And his name is Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> his name is Jesus. Verse 25. They asked him, who are you? They demanded. Jesus replied, the one I have always claimed to be. In fact, that phrase, the one I've always claimed to be, the scholar says is the most difficult phrase to interpret in the whole of, 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 the, of, of, the, um, of scriptures. Why? Because I don't know. But if I, I read the different translations and I discovered, well, maybe <laughs> it makes sense. One translation says, if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> Another translation says, I mean, things that are, but they were all kind of point to the same thing that Jesus would have said. You know, the NLT that we use says that, okay, the NIV, the NLT, okay, NLT first, that we use says, okay, the NIV says, <laughs> Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. Then if you check the voice translation, it says, from the beginning of my mission, I have been telling you who I am. Since you didn't believe then, you are not about to believe now. Many times, people ask God questions as though if God answers them, they will believe. But God says, but I've told you then. But you're asking me the same thing now. Balaam, should I go and curse Israel? God had told him, don't go. Then he's asking God again. God says, you're asking again? Balaam. After a while, God said to Balaam, go. Yeah, go now. You know, there is go, and there is go. <laughs> there, is, there is the go that has God's blessings. And there is the go now that I will wait for you on the road. And you can claim God has told you to go. And indeed, you heard go. But there is go. And there is go. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> so Jesus was saying, even if I told you again, you wouldn't believe me. 
Even if I told you what has happened, you still wouldn't believe. Now, the question is, is this. I mean, anyone that studied the Bible at some point, you will have to ask yourself this question. Of course, by God's grace, we have the answer to it. But at some point, you have to ask yourself this question. Why doesn't Jesus just explain to them plainly? He uses parables. He uses dark saints. And, and, and the answer is this. In Mark 4, 10 to 12, it says, when they were alone, when he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables. And another translation says, why he was speaking to them in dark saints. And he, he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, may you not be outside. If you are outside, God will draw you in today in the name of Jesus. Those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look but not see. They may indeed listen but not hear, not understand. So that they may not turn again and be forgiven. I'm like, ah, ah, is that not too hard? But you know the key thing is this. Jesus understood that belief based on exhaustive explanation is as fickle as belief based on signs and wonders. If you have to have exhaustive concordance, exposition from the Greek, exposition from the... and understand everything before you believe. Jesus knows that it is not by power to believe. It is not by, by intellectual capacity to grasp what God is saying. So, coming to faith in Christ is not based on accepting logical propositions. It's much deeper and more mysterious than that. Coming to faith in Christ is totally mysterious and deeper. It is inexplainable. Coming to faith in Christ is like, how can a virgin conceive and have a child? That is how mysterious coming to faith in Christ is. While we explain, while we teach, while we preach, while we pray that people understand, it can't be purely based on the eloquence, eloquence of man's wisdom or explanation. So coming to faith in Christ involves the Father and the Spirit speaking to the hearts of people. Coming to faith in Christ Involves the Father and the Spirit speaking to the hearts of people. John 3.8. John 3.8 says, The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can, you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You can't explain it. 
John 6, 44, Jesus puts it this way. He says, for no one can come to me unless my father who sent me draws them to me. No one can come to God. You can't come to God because your father is a bishop. So you, you have, if, if, if God doesn't draw you, it's not going to happen. And I pray that God will draw you. Even for those of us that know him, that we draw you even higher still. In the name of Jesus. And verse 28. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the father taught me. Praise the name of the Lord. In Matthew 28, 50 to 54, you know, Jesus said in the text that we read, that you are going to see the Son of Man lifted up. I mean, every, everyone in Israel knows that phrase to mean cruci- crucifixion. So you are going to see me crucified. It says, then you will know that I am who I have said I am. And we see that this is the story of the crucifixion. Then Jesus shouted again, and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, the same temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Of course, again, you know the significance of that. The earth shook, rocks split apart, the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. Went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. So it wasn't only Jesus that appeared to people. Those 40 days. He had a company of people. David, Abraham, Enoch. All of them were with him. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake. And all that had happened, they said, this man truly is the son of God. Didn't he say, when I am lifted up, then you will know. This is the beginning of people actually acknowledging. Even his own brothers did not come to faith until Jesus was crucified. James, that wrote the book of James, didn't get saved until Jesus was crucified. Jude, that wrote the book of Jude, didn't get saved until they saw him lifted up. And as you lift up Jesus in your life, 
he will draw men to himself. Praise the name of the Lord. In John 3, 14, John 3, 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Must be lifted up. Now the second part of that passage that we read, verse 28, says, Jesus says, I do nothing of my own. And this is so instructive. He, he, he said to, to the um, people that I have things to say to you. I know things about you that will con- convict or condemn, whatever, and, 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 and shame you. He says, but I will not say it. And the reason I will not say it is because I have not heard my father say it. I can do nothing except what I hear my father do. Praise the name of the Lord. So, (laughs) it is so important. If you and I are going to walk like Jesus on earth, you have to restrict yourself to the things that God allows you to do. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the word of God says that, then God said, let us make man in our image. Everybody say image. To be like us. They will reign. They will have dominion. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God created, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, the image is like the mirror reflection of the, of, 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 of the person. So God is saying, man, you and I, male or female, man, the spirit man, is created in the image of God. So, like Jesus, when God raises his hand, if you stand in front of your mirror and you raise your hand to touch your head and your hand in the mirror does not raise. <laughs> That's the best way I can bring the misnomer that we call Christianity is we are supposed to be the image of God. Our spirits are alive. We are, the ex- we are the image of the living God. We are created in the image of God. And like Jesus what I see the Father do, that's what I do. I mirror him. I'm his image. The Father is combing his hair. I'm combing my hair. The Father is talking. I'm talking. The Father is sitting. I'm sitting. That is what he said. That is what he wants for us also. So, standing in front of the mirror, you are God's image. And God is making certain moves. And you are not making the moves. It's a spooky situation. It's a very spooky situation. Get them to the stand in front of the mirror and do this. Now, if you do this and the image does this, <laughs> call your house fellowship leader. Because pastor will be sleeping. <laughs> I've done my job. <laughs> I've preached the word. <laughs> so we 
understand when Jesus says, of my own, I can do nothing. But I reflect the movement of my father. Therefore, when you disobey me, you are not disobeying me. You are disobeying him because it's not me. I'm just a reflection. Hallelujah. Verse 23, 24. It says, Jesus continued, (laughs) you are below. I am from above. You belong to the world. I do not. I mean, what effrontery. That's why I said that you will die in your sins. (laughs) For unless you believe me that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. I mean, I could imagine Jesus (laughs) saying that. (laughs) And you could say that this is not consistent with Jesus' non-condemnatory nature. But the truth is that Jesus is not speaking condemnation. But rather, he was speaking light. Jesus was speaking light. If something is dirty, once light comes, it still is dirty. There's, how else do you spell dirty? So because it's light and it says it's dirty, does, is that condemnation? No, it's just revelation. And there's a man, there's a, there's a burden on, on people that bring light. Ezekiel 3.18 says that if I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, it says they will die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their death. So, so Jesus' position was, I'm responsible. Hallelujah. Okay, so we back up to verse 3. <laughs> that story that you have been waiting for. The woman <laughs> caught in adultery. Verse 3. It says, and... He, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought the woman, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, the truth of this is this. Those guys all came with stones and they put the woman in the middle. Obviously, I mean, they said they caught her in the act of adultery. Where is the man? Where's the man? Someone says the man is a Pharisee. So, <laughs> so they allowed him to go free. But, I mean, you can't catch a woman in the act of adultery alone. 
doesn't work like that. But that's not where we are going. She was there. And they had stones in their hands. The stones were not for the woman. The stones were for Jesus. They wouldn't mind stoning the woman with Jesus. But the stone was not for the woman. You see, when, when the enemy comes against you, it's not you. Really. It is the image of God in you. And the enemy hates your father. So when he sees you, you remind him of your father. So when he wants to stone you, it is not about you. So don't think, you see, when you come in spiritual warfare, don't think that, oh, you need to cajole God to arise, oh Lord, let my enemies be scattered. No. Of course, that is valid. I'm just saying the paradigm is wrong. It is God's battle more than it is your battle. Praise the name of the Lord. So the, the stones were really for Jesus, not for the woman. Either response, either way, Jesus was going to get into trouble. Either way, they were ready to stone him. Either way, either way. If he says, execute her, according to the law, he was going to get into trouble. For two reasons. Number one, it's not consistent with his message of grace. So they say you're a hypocrite. But that is even not what will make them stone him. What will make them stone him was that the Romans have taken the power to stone and to kill from the Jews except if they defy Caesar or they do something they do something against the temple so if Jesus had said crucify the um, stone according to the law stone him they will stone Jesus and say that he's disobeying Caesar and they will take his body to Caesar and say this guy disobeyed you if Jesus says don't stone her because um, my nature is grace, right? Grace and truth, you know, 100% grace, 100% truth. Don't stone her. They would say that he's violating the law of Moses, the law of their God. They would stone Jesus. So whichever way, the stone was for Jesus and it was in their hands. I can imagine them caressing the stone and saying to Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So the question is, what was Jesus writing in the dust? What do you think Jesus was writing in the dust? Now, the truth is that nobody really knows for a fact. But what do you think? I mean, I like to let my imagination lose at, at some point. What do you think Jesus was writing in the dust? What was he writing in the dust? What do you think? Okay, if you were Jesus, what would you be writing in the dust? 
I know what I will read. There was a time in my work with God that I would have written bastards. <laughs> yes. Oh, what do you think Jesus was writing in the dust? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I think he must have been writing you. This is what you did. Hmm. You write their name and say, hmm. this is what you did on this day. Hmm. You, on the, you know, just writing down. Absolutely. And, and, you know, they were seeing it and... Absolutely. Hallelujah. Anybody else? What do you think Jesus was, was writing... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't really think he was writing anything okay. like that. He was just venting his anger on the doors. Like, you people want to, tra- people want to trap me. So I think Jesus was actually gathering his, you Talks know, together. Just, yeah, it was kind of temper. It can be temperamental. So he didn't want be. to, yes, Jesus can know? be. Uh, <laughs> so he didn't want to lash out on them. He was looking for the best rest. How do I respond to these fools? Like, mm. What do I say to them? What do, so I think that was what he was saying. And okay. just scribbling in the sand. Does that look like when maybe husband and wife have an issue? Yes. Yeah, so the wife... And one just... Is the wife here? Eh? The wife should just <laughs> go and lie down. I'm saying, keep quiet. Oh, don't just, talk. Oh, don't just talk, go oh. to the room and say, oh, mm. if, I, if I answer this <laughs> yes, guy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what Jesus was doing. But what about the guy? Hey, he, should start his, <laughs> he should start himself. I'm talking as a woman. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, for time, for time, for time, for time, for time. Now, there are different schools of thought. Scholars have different things that they think it was written. I mean, they are very interesting things. I'll just share them with you. But the truth is that nobody really knows because they didn't tell us. I mean, one of which is, like Pastor Lola said, he was writing the names of the men in the crowds who were sinning. He was writing their names. Hmm... Mm. And, and they backed that up with Jeremiah 17, 13, that the names of, 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 of people that desert God will be written in dust. It's in the scriptures. The, the, earth, the word earth there is dust. Herod's cross thought says it, it wasn't just writing their names, that it was, it was a list of sins that they were committing. So, it will say, only, thief. Meanwhile, everybody there, they will see their own sin there. Ah, thief, adulterer, fornicator, armed robber, liar, 419. Perhaps, perhaps it was just <sighs> playing with the dust. I'm like, look at this dust. Because man is dust. Ordinary dust trying to trap me. Ordinary dust. Maybe I should just convert all of them to dust. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. But you see, by the time we look at verse 7 and to 8, it says, they kept demanding an answer. Jesus was busy scribbling. Bastards. And they were like, Answer. He was writing their names. Josephus. He says, all right. He stood up. I said, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down 
and started writing. Guess what he was writing this time? They are going to run away. <laughs> you know, because he was writing, he wrote twice. <laughs> the first one was different from the second one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because Proverbs 29, Proverbs 20 verse 9 says to us that who can say, I have, cl- I have cleansed my heart. Who can say, I am pure and I'm free from sin. And Jesus knew this. And he said to them, the one that has no sin, throw the first stone. You see, with God, sin is sin. No? Throw the first stone. <laughs> when Jesus made that statement and began to write on this it was a risky move it was a risky move because Jesus was standing between the woman and the stones Jesus was saying and putting himself on the line and saying if none of you have sinned then the person should throw the first stone Jesus is still putting himself himself on the line for you and I today. Hallelujah. Pastor, how do you know? Hebrews 7, 25 says to us, I think it's 25, says to us that Jesus forever lives to make intercession for us. He is consistently putting himself on the line for us. Says, have mercy upon Femi. Have mercy upon Femi. He keeps shielding us. He keeps protecting us. And verses 7 to 11 quickly says 9 to 11, sorry. Says, you got it now. Yeah. From the NRSV. It says, when they heard it, they went away one by one. Imagine the drama. They would drop their stone and they would go. Everyone that is accusing you, we go one by one. In shame. In the name of Jesus. Beginning from the elders. Of course, I think we've explained that before. Why is it the elders? That will start first. Simple because uh, experience makes you think deeper. Number one and two, you have done more harm. Uh, <laughs> the older you are, <laughs> the more you have committed. And one by one, beginning from the elders, Jesus was left alone with the woman before him, among the crowd. Remember, the crowd, they're still there. Another transition says, Jesus alone with the crowd. The crowd, they're still there. The people that came to hear the word are still there. The group that came with stones were different. They were the chief priests, the Pharisees and all that. So when they were left alone with the woman, standing before him, Jesus strengthened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Jesus will ask you, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And you say, no one, sir. No one. Who can condemn when God has justified? And Jesus said, neither do I. I mean, I'm not here to condemn you. But go your way. And from now on, do not sin. So when he says, go and sin no more, Jesus was not only giving her instruction. Jesus was giving her empowerment. When he says, go and sin, the power in that instruction gives the woman the ability. And many times, you want to stop sinning by your strength. You can't. You need enablement from Jesus. And he's saying to you today, go and sin no more. Praise the name of the Lord. So, you know, up up until this point, this woman has not spoken a word up until now. She has not protested. She didn't say it's a lie. They are lying. I wasn't committing adultery. Did she say that? No. Neither has she pleaded for mercy. She didn't protest. She didn't plead for mercy. She probably felt she deserved it. She probably felt condemned by herself. She probably felt that if I wasn't the one that was caught, I should be holding a stone. And many times, we caught ourselves and we think that we are justified, that we, we, we don't deserve much from God. We don't really deserve anything. We are, if we were Jesus, we will not save ourselves. But Jesus is saying to you, I don't condemn you. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's, let's honor him. Let's, I don't condemn you. So we see that Jesus spoke to her with dignity. Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? The same way he spoke to his mom in John 2. He said to his mom, woman, I don't have any business with these people. When he was on the cross, he says, woman, behold your... That's how he addresses his mom. The highest, just like saying, my dear. That is, in our context, when you say woman, it's very offensive. It can be very... Say woman, my... Mind yourself. No, that's not what Jesus was saying. In Jesus' context, it was like, my dear mother, my dear lady. He spoke to her with dignity. Probably nobody else did. And another school of thought on what he was writing in the dust was this. Is this. Is that... A Roman judge would always write down the sentence before pronouncing it. So when Jesus took down again to write, he was writing a sentence. And he was saying, is it discharged and acquitted? Discharged and acquitted. I don't condemn you. Before he declared it to her. God is writing. Your judgment. And it is in your favor. 
Praise the name of the Lord. It's in your favor. And because God is on your side, it's in your favor. He wrote it before he declared it. He wrote it before he declared it. Hallelujah. So when we look at Jesus, we see full of grace and full of truth. 100% grace and 100% truth. It's not 50-50. It's 100% grace. He lavishes his grace and he lavishes his truth at the same time. Do we have any questions? Amen. Let's give the Lord a big, big hand for his word. Okay. Do we have any questions? Yeah. Is there hand there? Let's, let's see all the questions at once so we, we can plan for it. Is there hand there? So one, two. Is that all? Okay. So those two questions. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sir, it's not a question. It's a contribution. The part where he said Jesus stood down and he was writing in the dust, what I learned recently was that Jesus declaring and saying that, but let he without sin be the first to cast the stone. He was trying to declare to them that I'm the only one worthy to stone this woman. So if you're done shouting and wasting my time, I'll be right here writing in the dust. That's just all I wanted to share. Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you for sharing. Let's clap for and encourage her. Okay, uh, uh, yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I also want to have a school of thought about what Jesus was writing <laughs> in the dust. And also a question. In fact, we should write a book. What Jesus was writing in the dust. <laughs> right, go ahead. I believe Jesus... Um, healed a blind man with the dust in mm. one of his passages. Mm. So I believe Jesus was like tweaking those people's brain mm. <laughs> to what they are going to do next. <laughs> so first he was like writing, yeah, yeah. writing on the dust yeah. that you people have seen and like reminding them what they've done. In their brain. In their brain. And then after he has finished talking he went back there and tell them you can start going. <laughs> Like that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then my question is, um, you talked about God drawing men unto himself. Right. Can we say then that the people that are not saved, mm. like after preaching to them, they still refuse to come to God. Mm. Can we say that God did not draw them unto himself? I would say that we'll leave it to God. So our own is to share the gospel. We don't save any. Nobody can. I can't save anybody. I'm sure you know you can't save anybody. No Christian can save anybody. Our own is to share the gospel and leave it to God. Trust that you have sown a seed. Even though, you know, sometimes when you share the gospel with someone and you give your own altar call and the person doesn't respond, sometimes it bruises your ego. <laughs> and you begin to feel like your value is tied to that. You are a failure because... The person that said no or had not responded. No, you have done your bit. You pour plants, Apollo waters. It is God that brings the increase. You have sown a seed. Go rejoicing. 
even if the person does not give his life to Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, a younger pastor said to me years ago that, ah, that is listening to our messages, you are always giving altar calls and, you know, and people are always giving their life to Jesus. You know, I want to be like you. Because when I give my own altar call, nobody responds. You know, and it's very devastating. You know, can you lay hands on me? Let's pray. Ah, I said to him that, number one, it's not every time I give an altar call that people give their life to Jesus. He was surprised. I said, but that doesn't define me. I said, there were times in my life that when I gave an altar call, people didn't respond more times than people responded. Now, by God's grace, it appears people are responding more than they are not responding. So, to him, it's every time people are responding. So, I said to him, you have not failed if you give the altar call and nobody responds. I said, you have failed if God has brought somebody and you refuse to give an altar call and the person goes out unsaved, you have failed. So if you give an altar call and nobody responds, glory be to God. The following meeting, you give another altar call. The following one, you give another altar call and nobody, you give another one. Why? Because it is not about you. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's about Jesus. So if it's about Jesus, what's my own? It's not me that will save. It's the one that will save. Let's burn our hearts as we burn our heads. And here comes the altar call. If you are here, you, you've not given your life to Jesus. You've never been born again. And you're saying, Pastor, can you pray with me? Yes, I want to pray with you. Or you, you, are, you come to church, but you are far from God. Or you used to be born again, but you are, you're backsliding. Can you pray with me? I want to pray with you. Should I come forward? No, my brother, my sister, you don't need to come forward. Wherever you are seated, I want to pray with you. That is me. Put up your hand. Wherever you are seated, I'll pray with you. Over your head. Quickly, put it up. Hi. Up. Up. God bless you. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my brother. Keep the hands up. Children are getting saved every tribe. Praise God for that. <laughs> but adults, give the adults alone the cards. Um... God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Keep the hands up. If you are online, the structures are scrolling. Pastor. Once you have the card, you can put down your hand, please. And, 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 and we're going to pray now. Lord, we pray for everyone that is surrendering to you in the name of Jesus. We ask that you draw them unto yourself. Thank you for drawing them unto yourself. Cleanse them totally. Change their lives. Let your name and your name alone be glorified in their lives. Honor and glory be given to you. Every one of us that we have heard your word. <laughs> Thank you for your judgment that says we are guiltless. We are acquitted. We give you praise. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Oh.
Thank you. 